world. Welcome to another episode of 4AM in Quarantine. I am here with my man, David Pere. Um, super excited to have this man on. He's uh, better known as the million, uh, military to millionaire. David Pere joined the Marine Corps in August 08. Since that time, he's lived and traveled in many unique places around the world, including a combat tour in Afghanistan, which we're going to get into. That's going to be really cool. Uh, extremely excited for you to talk about that. His awards include the Navy and Marine Corps uh, Commendation Medal, two Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medals, and a Combat Action Ribbon. Um, want you to definitely shed some light on that as well, man. Uh, so happy and grateful to have you on the podcast. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be one for the books. Excited for you to just kind of talk about your, um, you know, your transition and you being able to balance both the military as well as real estate. I know you're a huge real estate investor um, and, and we can kind of dive deeper into that. I'm, I'm excited for you to, you know, to just share your story with, uh, you know, with everyone. And thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, brother. I, uh, I don't know which, which part of that do you want me to talk about first? Let's, um, let's dive into, you know, why and, you know, how you got into the military and why the Marine Corps, you know, what, what kind of drove you to the Marine Corps? I know you have a lot of options in the military and uh, give us your, your take on that. All right, let me put my recruiter man hat on from back when I was a recruiter. Uh, I joined primarily, so I grew up, <clears throat> I was born in Northern California, but I grew up in Arkansas, a small town outside the capital. And when I was looking at life after high school, I, I was homeschooled most of the time I was in high school. I went to public school for like a year. I hated it. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like having to wait on people who were slower than me in a subject before I could progress and vice versa, having to like, feel like I was holding everyone back. I, I just homeschooled was so much easier because it was like, Oh, I'm good at this. I'm done. Oh, I suck at this. I get to spend a lot of time on it. Um, it just fit me better, which thinking forward now to entrepreneurship, I think it, it works out well that way because you're controlling your schedule, but I couldn't figure out what I wanted to study in college. I didn't have any money for school and I wanted to leave the state. So it was like, well, I don't know what I want to study. I don't have money to freaking pay for school, much less out of state tuition. And I don't want to stay in Arkansas. So that's out the window. And I was thinking like, okay, I could be a police officer. I could be a firefighter. And, uh, you know, the one semester I was at public school, recruiters come in and they talk to people. And I don't necessarily know. I mean, I talked to all the service branches, but there was just something about the Marine Corps between the the uniforms and the way they carried themselves that, uh, I just, it just hit me harder and they challenged me and called me on my, my BS and, and, you know, made things a little bit more difficult for me as far as like, you know, instead of like the army would be like, Oh yeah, you know, you could probably stand to lose a few pounds. The Marine Corps is like, you got to lose 20 pounds. We're not talking to you like, Oh, uh, mm, all right. Well, I guess that I'll chase that. Uh, so I went with the Marine Corps, I think, because it was more of a challenge, and I was definitely not disappointed. I, I love it. I mean, I'm in the logistics field, which means, you know, I'm like a truck driver, which uh, nowadays people join and they're like, oh, wow, that's such a boring job. How did he ever get to do anything cool? Well, in 2008, when I joined, there were still, you know, mid-Afghanistan, mid-Iraq, there was still a lot of stuff going on. And so I was just, I say fortunate enough because like defining moments of my life to get to deploy, but it was just a really 
fun few years when I first started getting to travel around and shoot guns and blow stuff up and, you know, live the, the adventuresome life that you see in movies sometimes. In fact, there's actually an HBO documentary on the little town I was in in Afghanistan at that time. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty wild. Um, you know, just, just being able to, you know, be in Afghanistan and just think of, you know, going to sleep every night and waking up to do your job, knowing that, you know, that you're, you're under such pressure and, you know, you're fighting for your country and, you know, keeping those that you love and, um, you know, safe at home. It's, it's just, it's just an unbelievable, um, I think achievement and just, something just a selfless complete selfless act and you know i commend you for that and you know thank you for your service i know that you're continuing um you know your career at the moment um and and you know i know that i appreciate it and there's millions and millions of people out there that appreciate it as well man so thank you again for for doing that for uh you know not just your, yourself but everybody else that you're you know you're keeping safe back at home yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's been fun. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been a good time, you know. I mean, and I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I think anyone who tells you that they go to sleep thinking they're like about who they're protecting back home when they're deployed is probably just trying to sound good on television. <laughs> so yeah. Just, just you're not thinking about much. It's like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep. All right, now I gotta wake up. Okay, don't die today. All right, is there a gym? <laughs> do I get to eat? To, when do I get to eat today? What are we eating? Oh, another MRE. Did anyone bring, you know, any freaking Pop-Tarts this week? Like, what are we, what are we working on? Does anyone know if the cigarettes or truck's going to come by this month? Like, yeah, it's, it's much, it's funny because I joke, like, the reason deployment was so awesome other than being with a bunch of guys with, like, a huge purpose in life, because you definitely feel that sense of purpose, is because life was so simple. There's no freaking bills. There's no distractions. There's no relationship drama. There's no, you know, it's like, wake up, eat, maybe gym, sleep, don't die, like, yeah. I don't know. It's a good time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that has, you know, that, that's the ultimate, you know, kind of vision of, of living in the present, right? Because you have no other, no other distractions. It's like, Hey, fight or flight mode, right? This is where I am. There's no other distractions, whether it's, you know, technology, drama, other people, um, politics, whatever it might be. I mean, your focus, you know, you're in, you're in complete tunnel vision when you're when you're in that um, environment, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know, it's fun. It's fun in the, it's it's fun in a way that only other veterans would understand. When I'm telling you, like, if offered to go back to Afghanistan today, I would be putting my gear together. It's you wow. know, everybody everybody's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you do that. And like vets, I don't know, maybe it's just Marine Corps thing, but we're a little crazy, but. Like put me in coach, you know, um, I'm getting the, getting the itch right now. I'm like, what do you mean? I haven't gone out of the country in this many years. What's, what's going on? <laughs> like I'm, I'm behind a desk. This is some BS. I didn't reenlist for desk work. I reenlisted to you know, find some bombs and stuff like, come on. <laughs> so, uh, oh man, that's, that's good stuff. Well, you know, I want to, I want to definitely get into the real estate side of things how did you get started in real estate? Um, you know, why real estate and, um, you know, how, you know, I guess we can kind of get into how do you balance the two and, um, yeah, I guess just, let's just start as to how you got started in real estate and why real estate. 
Long story, kind of short, I guess. Uh, I, I had lost a bunch of money in stocks at gambling when I was younger. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I wasn't a huge fan because, oh, I made money. Oh, I lost money. Oh, 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 you know, and uh, I did not do very well with that. I didn't know what I was doing at all. But so I kind of had this tainted like, uh, you know, that's not for me. Um, and in 2000, <clears throat> wow. I don't know what that was coming out. Uh, in 2015, yeah. In 2015, I someone handed me the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't read. Uh, and he was like, okay, great. He pulled it out on a CD and was like, well, listen to it. You drive a lot as a recruiter, so put this in your car. I'm like, okay, fine. He called my bluff. So I'm like, all right, I'll listen to it. And man, like within three months, I'd bought a house. So I listened to that book. I started doing homework. I liked what it was talking about with cash flow and, and passive income and tenants. And I was like, wow, all this stuff makes sense. And I, I listened to that book. I listened to a few more of the, the Purple Library, Robert Kiyosaki books. And then I listened to uh, some Bigger Pockets books, a uh, book on rental property investing, which I think is still a number one seller from Brandon Turner and some of that. And it just so happened like the stars aligned. My my apartment lease was coming due like the end of December and I, someone totaled my Harley by parking on top of it when they were drunk at a bar. And so I had cash. And then uh, I was like, man, if, if all these books add up, like I'm paying five fifty a month for an apartment, I could probably get a place for like six or 700 bucks a month where I'm owning both sides of the duplex, you know, and I could cover that difference even if it was vacant, but if it's not vacant, that I'm saving money having a bigger space and it's mine. Like that sounds like a win. And so I, yeah, I, I looked around for a little while. I find a duplex that made sense. I pulled the trigger and I wish I could see like the date that I had closed rich or finished rich dad, poor dad. Right. Like I wish I had a way to know what date I finished listening to that CD because I, I mean, it would, it, it's just funny. Like I would have, I don't think it's more than three months from flash to bang on that. Uh, and so, I mean, that was kind of the like jump into, but I mean, the reasons for why I like real estate so much in the cash flow game is, is the four big ones, right? Or uh, it cash flow. So it pays me every month uh, depreciation. So I'm getting tax benefits off it. Appreciation. If it goes up in value, I, I get to, you know, I get that valuation increase, even if it goes up in value based on the money the bank lent me. And then uh, debt pay down. My my tenants are paying my mortgage. So like, I have a tenant a ten unit right now that uh, almost ten thousand dollars a year gets put into my put into my mortgage from tenants. You know, so on top of all the money it makes and everything else and all the tax benefits, they're paying off ten grand a month of my mortgage that I'm not paying off. It's or ten grand a year, not monthly. Man, that'd be nice. Uh, <laughs> but you know, so it's it's been good. I guess that's kind of the the why real estate. Um, as far as balancing it, I think I think the there's a quote that I enjoy because I'm kind of an asshole. I don't know. Did I, I didn't ask. Am I allowed to swear on here? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, you know, trying to pre- be all professional. So I'm kind of a jerk uh, sometimes. And so I love this quote that says, um, let me try to make sure I get the wording right here. But uh, it's essentially, if you, you know, if you want to do something and you make a million excuses, then you didn't really want to do it. But if it's a priority, then you'll figure it out. Like yeah. there's a much better way to word that. And I'm can't think of it right now. Cause I'm name is time. It's all <laughs> yeah. So, but essentially like, look, if you're not going to prioritize something, it's never going to get done. And it really wasn't important to you. So stop pretending it was important to you. So if you, Oh, that's what it is. If you, if you want to, if you want, if it's a priority, you'll find a way. Right. So yeah. 
uh, normally I am up at 3.55 every morning. As I told you this morning when I slept in, uh, I'm not, I'm doing weird, like our shifts got totally flip-flopped. So I'm doing like seven days on, seven days off. And I just kind of decided on the seven days off that I'm going to just be natural, wake up naturally and, you know, whatever, if I don't have anything going on and see what, see how that feels for a change. Uh, I'm not sure I like it, but normally I'm up at 3.55 every morning because that gives me two and a half hours before I have to leave the house for work where I can journal my goals, visualize my, my, what I want to achieve. I can sit at my computer and look for properties. I can write offers. I can send emails. I can do all that stuff before my day starts. Then I go to work. And when I come home, I can, I still have, you know, four five, six hours that I can pump stuff out before I go back to bed. So I would just ask, you know, anyone who says that they don't have time, I would just say, yeah, look at your priorities. I mean, that might be the problem because I mean, not right now I'm working eight to 12 hours, depending on the day in a vault, essentially with no cell phone allowed in the building. So, you know, aside from like lunch or when I walk out of the building, I'm not working on anything and I'm still able to produce content and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So if I, I would say that if I'm able to do that, then you are too. It's just where you actually spending your time when you're home. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's huge, um, especially during this time of, of quarantine, right? Because the fact of the matter is everyone's home, right? Oh they're yeah. That's home right. More than more than they were home two months ago. So just finding, you know, where your time spent, and again, like you said, is just taking your priorities, laying them out on the table and just placing them in order. Because at the end of the day, those are the things that you're going to get done first is what's on the top of the priority list. And you go down from there. Um, how many hours of sleep do you get? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm a firm <laughs> believer that sleep is super important. Right. But um I also think that some people need more sleep than others, right? So that's that's kind of what I've been experimenting with this week. So I, I when I'm up at four in the morning, I usually I'm in bed by eight, try to be out by nine thirty. So about six and a half. Um, usually, it's probably end up be ends up being around six. I've been trying to play with uh, the whole circadian rhythm and the, the the sleep type, and try to see. I think I'm more like naturally, I'm more of a like go to bed at almost midnight, wake up at like six or six thirty type. Yep. And so I've been trying to kind of play that while I have the open schedule to see what's most efficient for me. So that when I am self-employed, I kind of have an idea what my days will look like. And I think that's it. Cause I didn't set an alarm yesterday and I was up at five fifty-five, and I had gone to bed at like 11. So I think, I think the six, six and a half hours thing is pretty consistent for me. What, as far as like the perfect number, if I get eight, I feel great, but I also don't want to get out of bed. And if I get four, I can function totally fine. I just, that's when I start drinking coffee in the morning. And right now I'm doing good with just water. So, you know, Um, I don't know. I mean, I've functioned for sure. I've done the three hour, four hour nights things for, you know, many, many, many days of weeks of whatever. But uh, I think six and a half is the magic one for me. There you go. Yeah. I'd say I'm, I'm somewhere around that seven mark as well. Um, but again, there's some days that I'll randomly have five and a half hours and I'll be money for the, for the entire day. Like not even like, you know, it'll, it'll hit 11 o'clock at night and I'll still be wired, still be good to go. And the, I, you know, I think it also has to do with, you know, nutrition, right. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you want to be feeding your body, your mind and, and everything alike. Um, 
you know, that, that good nutrients stuff that's, that's going to keep you going and keep your mind going as well. Um, and I, I also think it's the way that you structure your day because, you know, for me, I like to do my most important things in the morning, but I also like to do the things that are going to require the most, you know, brain power and, and, and energy. Um, because, you know, if I wake up in the morning and all of a sudden I just start answering emails right away, um, you know, it, it'll ruin the rest of my day for sure. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, I make sure that I'm, that I'm at least trying my best to get that most important. I call my MVPs, right? So I get my most important MVP done as soon as I hop into my office I have my hour, hour and a half of just, I call it a jam session. I'm in there for an hour and a half jamming out and I have nothing distracting me, putting my phone aside, my computer's on, do not disturb. So whatever I'm doing, I'm focused. And, and that hyper-focus is truly what gets me, you know, past that, you know, that, that threshold. That's what, that's what pushes me, you know, into that next, um, I, I can't even really describe it. You know, you have to kind of be in it to understand what yeah. it's like when you're hyperfocused. Nothing else matters whatsoever. I know it, it's hard to get into that flow sometimes, but once you're there, that's why I normally, my cell phone doesn't come in the office. I try to, I do a terrible job of having entirely too many windows open on the desktop, but I try to like, okay, this is the only thing open. This is like blinders on, you know? Yep. Um, I do need to do more of that first thing in the morning. I, I find a lot of my great thoughts come first thing in the morning, but with my schedule, I often don't get as much time to work first thing in the morning and on flow stuff. So I handle a lot of my busy crap and end up doing the, the, that stuff, like the heavy stuff at night. But I'm trying during this time basically to do that. Like outside of, you know, today when I, as we joked beforehand that I basically ruined my whole schedule by accidentally allowing people to schedule calls like every hour of the day so that I don't have a block of calls and then a block of everything else, which I'm kicking myself for lesson learned, um, safeguard my schedule better. So Wednesday I'm going to wake up and the first thing I'm going to do is my like, write, write my blog post, write for my book, you know, work on the stuff that involves thought and focus. And then I'll go from there. So. Yeah. 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 It's again, it's, it's important, man. And, and you, you nailed it on the head with just, you know, laying out the priorities and, you know, kind of journaling and, and putting everything on the table, because at the end of the day, if you don't have, you know, your goals and, and your vision drawn out, it's almost just the, it's, it's just a dream, right? It's not something that's going to ever necessarily come to fruition, um, you know, without it being written down and without it actually being, you know, on your mind every single day, every single morning you wake up. Yeah. I'm, easily twice as productive, if not three times when I wake up and spend 15 minutes doing a journal first thing in the morning, because as I use the bigger pockets has this, the intention journal or whatever. And so it's the one part is like journaling, like what my goal is, what the weekly objective is and what my most important next step is to accomplish that. But then on the other side is like an hour or an every half hour calendar for the day. And I'll just go in and pen exactly what I'm going to do during that day. And uh, I'm so much more productive, you know, being able to actually focus on what I need to do during the day. Because when I get off track, I just look at the calendar and I'm like, nope, this is where I need to be right now. And yep. then 
and it just does wonders for me. Uh, and case in point, yesterday was a super, super, super productive day, and I still missed one or two things on the calendar, and I was kicking myself until I realized, like, yeah, but you did all of the, I mean, I effectively did like nine hours worth of work yesterday, you know, so it's like, eh, okay, I'll let it, I'll let it slide. Yeah, you can't be too hard on yourself, especially when you have those days of, of like hyper focus, super productivity, and um, can't, you can't get too hard on yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, th th there's some people out there waking up, watching Netflix, taking a nap midday, uh, doing a little work on the computer in bed and, and going back to sleep. So <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got to give yourself some sort of, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a tap on the back, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of entrepreneurs miss is like giving themselves permission to relax and permission to say, good job. If you get so wrapped up in the grind, I know I burned out a few times uh, back in, you know, the end of last year. And I realized very quickly, like I had scheduled some, some white space on my weekends to do nothing. And that was doing nothing for me. What I needed to do instead was schedule like an hour and a half where it's like, you're going to go get a massage or you're going to go read a book or you're going to go to the movies and just give yourself permission to like, Hey, for this, like three hours, I'm going to go do this. And I'm not going to, this is my job for that time. I'm not, it's not that I'm wasting time at the movie theater. It's that I'm going to watch this movie and stop focusing on everything else because I need that, you know, you and need those mindless activities for sure. Yeah. You know, it helps you balance. It helps, you know, and, and, those mindless activities after those mindless activities are some of, you know, post those mindless activities anyway, are some of my biggest creative states. And, you know, it, it, it truly does help you to become more productive, more creative and get, you know, get your mind back on track. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Cool, man. So, um, just, I, I know you kind of went through your first deal. Um, but let's talk about a couple of your first deals, right? Um, I don't know if you want to dive a little bit more into that first deal. I know you, you know, you spoke about you kind of ha house hacked um, not too long after uh, reading or listening to Rich Dad Poured Out by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, that's one of my all-time favorites as well, and it, and it's a great read. Anyone could read it, right? It's not, it's nothing that you know that you don't have to have any prior knowledge to real estate or passive income to read that book um, that kind of is, is just the eye-opener right that, and that's and, and for me that was one of probably the most eye-opening books as well just yeah. getting into real estate and, and, and understanding what passive income was you know as opposed to just being you know on the active side of real estate so i just wanted you to go into you know, what has passive income done for you over and, and how, and how did you kind of go through those first couple of deals of yours? Yeah. Well, passive income theoretically has allowed me to have a safety net where if I, you know, stop working or whatever, I've got maybe not my full income yet, but a decent chunk of change coming in to offset my expenses. Uh, the problem with that being that I've then turned around and dumped most of that passive income into building up an online brand and business. So I don't know that I'm actually benefiting yet from it. Uh, it's, it's been like reinvested, reinvested, reinvested. So I haven't reaped the benefit of it yet, but it's growing much faster because of that. So um, it will, I, it's already 
awesome, right? But it, it will be even more awesome once I've built up the second platform and now I've got two streams of income bringing in cash. Uh, in fact, they're already kind of at that point now. Um, kind of crossing that threshold to where I'm not pumping cash in anymore. I'm getting, you know, so it's it's nice. But all that to say, passive income just allows you freedom. It just allows you the opportunity to have time be what you're worried about, which is way more important, but people lose track of that. And so being able to control my schedule is like my number one concern going forward is how do I get to where I work on what I want, when I want, where I want, not what I have to do. And, you know, if I enjoy shooting videos, then that's what I want to do all day. If I just want to run around and look at houses with other investors and film videos with them, like, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. You know, if I want to, I don't know if I want to go play football. Okay, cool. Like, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. But you know, obviously, a lot of work related activities will still be done. But passive income allows you that freedom. As far as deals, and the first one was pretty cool. It was it was simple. It was, uh, I did an FHA loan, which I kicked myself for because I had the VA loan, but uh, which is zero down, but my lender talked me out of it. Uh, he didn't really understand what was going on, I guess. And I didn't know enough to know any different. Told me that I couldn't use it more than once. And I, so he, I shouldn't waste it. Well, you can definitely use the VA loan more than once and I should have used it. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's probably cost me 10 grand over the years and in, in different expenses and down payments. But I used the FHA, so I paid three and a half percent down. Still pretty solid, right? Like, I, I mean, grand scheme of things, that's still a great loan. And I bought this thing. My mortgage payment was originally six fifteen. Taxes have gone down a little bit, ironically. So now it's like five eighty five. But it was six fifteen as my payment, and each side rented for four twenty five. So I was like, okay, well, you know, worst case scenario, I'm going to be paying like hundred and ninety dollars out of pocket to live in this place. Not worst case scenario, but if it's if it's rented, I'll pay hundred ninety dollars out of pocket plus maintenance and repairs. If it's not rented, I'm only paying. Uh, $65 more than what I was to live in the apartment. So it made sense. And then uh, rent has increased. So now rent is, you know, $525 a, a side and it's still my mortgage is now $585 plus, plus in, interest and in insurance. And so I'm essentially making uh, 10000 or 10000 1050 every month on a place that after all expenses cost me less than 900 bucks. So, well, actually, I say 900 bucks. I budget very conservatively. It cost me less than 750 probably realistically, but um, and so I've got this place that makes 2-300 bucks a month that I put, you know, 3 grand into. So every year for the last 4 years it's paid me back for everything I put into it. And it's gone up $20,000 in value and it gives me 2 or 300 bucks a month. And so you can just kind of as you keep doing that, yeah, you have to dump some cash in, but if you dump $10,000 in and it took you a year to save that, but then you earn 300 bucks a month from doing it. Okay, well, then the next one might only take you eight months to save or 10 months to save. Then the next one might take you eight months. And then eventually you get to a point where you can just kind of keep rolling. So I bought the duplex. Um, and then I got married and my wife had a house that wasn't really an investment, but we basically put a, we refinanced, put a, put a home equity line of credit on it, um, bought some land around it threw some cattle on it and basically got it to where with a tenant plus the cattle it, it brings in some cash on top of everything we were paying took that HELOC and used it to buy a 10 unit apartment and a 40 unit apartment and then uh, we we've since gotten rid of the 40 unit um but the 10 unit's been my best deal to date so i got that thing i paid 
4.9% down and had 85% bank financing and 10% seller financing, meaning I'm just making payments to the seller mm. instead of, you know, I basically said, Hey, give me 10 grand or, or 20, 20 grand, whatever that number was. And uh, I'll pay you 4% interest for the next five years and I'll, and I'll pay you back. And he's like, okay, cool. I just want to, I just want to, I just want to stop you there because um, I want to dive a little bit deeper into seller finance because, you know, a lot of people listening either, have used it and, and know about it or don't know what seller financing is at all. And I just want you to discuss how that really, that, that, you know, helped your deal and how that helped you kind of get into the deal because a lot of seller financing, right. Is, you know, let, let's say, let's say, you know, you're, you're getting 90% bank financing, 10%, you know, you're putting up yourself, right. You're putting up 10% equity. Um, maybe, maybe the deal, is, deal doesn't work, right, in those terms. Then you bring the seller into financing another 10, 15% of that deal, and all of a sudden the deal works. I just wanted you to kind of discuss and let the audience know how seller financing works and how it helped you kind of get into the deal at a better um, cap rate than you would have got it, gotten in otherwise. Yeah. Well, seller financing is essentially just, I, I always use a car analogy. So say you owned a $10,000 Ford Focus and I said, cool, I want to buy your car. Um, I could either give you $10,000 and, but, or, you know, say I had no money, right? So I could either give you $10,000 by going to the bank, getting a check from the bank and owing the bank, whatever percentage for the next five years, six years. Or I could say, Hey, how about I just pay you $500 a month for the next, I don't know, whatever that boils down to, you know, 20 months. Um, and then awesome, like, cool. And that would be zero interest paid off faster. And I'm basically just paying the seller for it down the road. So the seller financing, the cool thing with it for real estate is that it's completely negotiable. Whatever terms you and the seller agree to is whatever terms work. Now, if you're getting a bank involved, you do have to make sure they're on board with the seller carrying a, a second you know, financing on the, on the loan, but that's usually not a problem as long as you have a good relationship with your bank. I think seller financing is a huge opportunity right now because uh, I mean, it, it's always awesome, but as landlords start getting kind of hurt here or put in a hurt locker, I, I think that as they start to be kind of scared about tenants, not paying rent and stuff like that, that seller financing might become an opportunity where it's like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll take over your payments or I'll pay you rather than the bank, especially because as we were talking about before the, or earlier in this call that uh, financing is getting kind of hard to come by the, right now. Like it, it'll come back around, but for the moment, they've been pretty strict about what they lend, who they lend to. And so seller financing gets around that because it doesn't matter what your credit is to borrow from the lender. So in, in this particular deal, what it did was I would have needed to bring in trying to do the math off the original closing. I think I was going to have to bring in uh, like $40,000 down. And I ended up bringing in only like 10,900. And so it essentially tripled or quadrupled my cash on cash return. And I was paying the guy 4% interest for five years, but I ended up when I refinanced uh, 18 months later, I took the money out of the refinance, paid him completely off and didn't pay interest on the last half. So it really boiled down to, I paid like 1% interest on the money I borrowed from him. And now I still have, you know, 
uh, I don't know, 35% equity in this property. And it was cash flowing the whole time. So, I mean, my tenants were paying back the seller financing and the mortgage. And then, like I said, 18 months later, out of equity, refinanced, paid them all off. And I've got no cash in the deal. Yeah. And, and that's a, just such a powerful financing technique. And again, that kind of goes into just how creative you can get in real estate. And that's why I love the assets so much is there's not just one, two, three, um, you know, alleys in which you can kind of go down in real estate, right? It's, you know, let's say a hundred different alleys. And then from there, you're, you're branching off from there and getting creative because the way that you underwrite a deal isn't going to be the same way I underwrite a deal, which is not going to be the same way, you know, the guy next door is going to underwrite that same exact deal. And that, and that's truly, you know, what drove me into real estate is just being able to get so creative and, and we're taking the, the tax benefits and everything else out of the equation, right? Just, just talking about how creative you can get on the terms of a deal. Yeah. And it's, it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, what this asset class can truly do for your life and for the, you know, the lives of, of your family members, friends, and, and people that you can pass this knowledge on down to. And that's kind of what I see you doing. And I think that's a, a real big reason why I wanted to have you on the show is just, you know, we have a very similar mindset. And I think that we also are kind of moving in the same direction, right? Growing our real estate business and empire, but also, you know, educating along the way and having people um, understand how important it is to learn these skills and, and, you know, techniques to better your life, better your situation, you know, and you being in the military, right. And doing this while you're in the military so that you can have a better life when you get out is just putting you one step ahead of, you know, 90% of the guys that who are not doing this. Um, so, you know, you want to, you know, dive a little bit deeper into um, how that is, right? Like, how is that transition now going to be? I know, I know that you're going to be, you know, you're looking to retire, right? Or become a reserve at some point, right? Um, how does that life look for you in the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months? And how are you getting ready to, to, to kind of get out of the, the, uh, the military life where your life is just so, I guess, structured, right? And, and you don't have to worry about structuring it yourself as an entrepreneur. And I know you've been working on that. You know, what are some things that you're doing to work on that and get ready for when you're, when you're 100% self-employed? Well, it's, it's kind of, man, there's a, there's a lot there that I would like to tell you I have all the answers for, but I'm, I'm learning as I go. Uh, for one thing, the whole telework thing right now where we're working like one week on, one week off, I've been trying to take that you know, to my advantage and go, okay, well, if I only have you know, if I've got this entire week off, I'm going to try to schedule my day and play with my structure as far as what I would be doing if I was actually self-employed. Uh, now, granted, obviously, I can't go to lunches with people and I can't go look at properties and I can't meet sellers, but it's it's something of a similarity as far as the content production and stuff. So it allows me to be, you know, just see if I would really be productive on my schedule as opposed to just saying I'd be really productive when I'd end up finding ways to waste time. And then... uh 
I mean, there's that there's, there's getting finances in check, you know, lowering expenses and stuff. I mean, I've been oogling this new video camera for like two months now, and it would, it would be a business expense and it would help me and this, that, and the other, but trying to say like, okay, that's great, but I don't need it. The one I have still works. So I'm going to keep that expense at bay for now. And I'm going to just save that money to invest later. So stashing cash and trying to keep investing. So building both the platform online and, and the investment strategies. So the nice thing is that I plan on going back to a lower cost area to live. And my wife, you know, has a job lined up. So when I get back there, I won't necessarily have to work right away which allows me the opportunity to be free and try to make it work for sure. And, you know, I will have a large financial runway and as of right now, a fairly decent stream of passive income coming in. So the, the hope is that all of that will stay completely afloat and just continue to grow. So right now I'm, I'm probably at a point where if I was to walk, I'd be able to live without having to, you know, go take a job. But I'm not yet at the point where I would be able to live and continue to build my portfolio because my, you know, I'm like right at like the barely break even point for passive income and everything. So I'm, I'm trying to get to the point where, okay, I still will have two or $3,000 a month coming in that I can invest on top of my break even point so that I can keep growing. Cause uh, what a lot of people don't realize is if you get into real estate, it, it becomes the thrill of the hunt. Like it's a game, it's fun. And so even if I was at a point where I wanted to, you know, be done, I, I don't know if I would because it's it's enjoyable. Yeah, and I think there's always another, um, you know, piece or um, another avenue to go down in real estate and, and to maybe, I don't know if chase is the right word, but um, to create for yourself. Right. Because again, there's a million ways that you can, you can make money in real estate, a million ways that you can help people in real estate. So um, even if it's not, you know, you continuing to buy more property, maybe it's you educating more people. Right. Um, so there's always, you know, I, I don't think that our jobs will ever be done at some point. Right. It's, it's like, you'll, you'll never retire from real estate yeah. because I don't look at it for me anyway. I don't look at it as a job, right? I look at it at, at it as a hobby in which I really, I truly have a ton of passion for, but the hobby generates income and allows me to do other things alongside it. Right. Cause I'm able to go ahead and, and, and like right now I'm able to do this with you. Yeah. I'm able to have this podcast I'm able to have a, an amazing conversation. You and I were having a conversation for 20 minutes prior to this and just talking shop, talking about, you know, your life as, as a Marine um, and, and just talking some real estate. And I, I, and I truly, I'm just so grateful for that because not many people can do this, you know, and, and you know, that's truly why I, you know, chose this path. Um, so just want to change gears for a minute and talk about some of your failures, right? Um, as, as a real estate investor, we all have failures. I mean, it, without a failure, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're never, you're, you'll, you'll never get to that next point because you have to, you have to trip over yourself in order to keep, to keep pushing forward. Um, 
one of your favorite failures, you know, over the past 10 years, right? Or I guess you started real estate in 2013. Is that right? 15. 2015. Okay. So over the past five years, what has been your favorite failure and why? Mm. I mean, man, I've made a lot of them. Uh, you know, I, I, my, my favorite is probably just realizing that I should have pulled the trigger faster because someone else got a deal that I knew was good and didn't pull the trigger fast enough. And my, I say my favorite because that didn't actually cost me anything to learn. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, opportunity costs. But uh, probably the hardest lesson to learn is that I need to understand that people as wonderful as they are. And as much as I would like to think that if I pay them and they'll do what I paid them for, uh, everything needs to be contractually, you know, obligated and and documented. So I've had a, I had a contractor essentially rob me blind on a property and I lost like $30,000 on the flip. Um, that was probably one of my, that was my more most, most recent failure. So we'll, we'll go with, uh, favorite because eh, 30,000, you know, whatever that sucks, but that's not the end of the world. And I learned some good lessons through that, but essentially, essentially I, uh, just needed to do a better job with how I paid him, how I managed him and how I verified everything he said, because, you know, he, he, I don't think he meant to do it, but he, overextended his business and imploded while I was just like, Oh yeah, la 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 la. Everything's good. Contractor said we got stuff going on. And I, you know, I gave him way too much trust way too early. Yeah. And a $30,000, um, I guess learning lesson is not, not a terrible, um, you know, cost for tuition, right. Um, could, could have been much worse. And that, that's something that now you learn and, that'll never happen again. Right. So, so what do you, what have you now put in place to avoid something like that? Is it, is it more so a contract, right? Or, or is it something that you're implementing, you know, a specific piece of a contract in which you're implementing in order to avoid that in in the future? I mean, the contract, yeah, just, I think, more than just having everything contracted. I mean, we had, we didn't have like an official binding contract. We had everything discussed via emails and very solidly documented via traffic. So, I mean, it's still basically the same thing because it's very, I mean, it's not a, it's not a full contract, but it'll hold up in court. Cause it's like, here's a scope of work. What's this going to cost this much? Okay, great. I can do that. Let's do it. Let's have it done by this day. You know, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it still holds up. I would definitely contract like physically contract everything in the future but more importantly than that i would i would have my property manager go by every week to inspect what was done before handing him the payment and i would hold more of the uh labor costs back so at the time we were doing you know a decent amount of um renovation or whatever but i was paying you know the checks were coming in normal, but I was just having my wife drop them off, which is fine, but she's just not as savvy on the construction stuff and I'm out of state, you know? And so I would have my property manager go through and actually say, okay, well, this is what you were supposed to do on the scope of work. What did you do? All right. Awesome. 
cool. And I would probably pay 25% of the labor costs up front, 25% of the labor costs halfway through. And I would hold the other 50% of labor costs until everything was done mm -hmm. because it's not my job to pay your employees. It's my job to ensure the job gets done. You should have, you should be able to employ. Now, obviously I'm not trying to hold all the money back, but I mean, I essentially, this guy paid all of his employees and not for materials. Apparently, I don't know. I mean, supposedly they got stolen, but there's no receipt. So I don't know. I don't know if he just gave them a check and said, here, go buy some materials with this. And then they just disappeared. Uh, it's just a big mess because I wasn't, I was, you know, oh, okay, cool. He sent me some pictures. He said, everything's good. You know, I mean, my wife went by, but when I went by to look at the work, like, I mean, somebody who knew what they were looking at would have known that, I mean, they didn't put insulation behind drywall. They drywall wasn't up to code. The uh, floor, the, they had redid some of the subfloor and they put untreated wood on a rock foundation, which is just, like a bunch of really stupid rookie mistakes that a normal person might not notice, but anyone who knows something about real estate would have noticed. And so I should have had somebody who knew about real estate inspecting that work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we all have those um, aha moments or uh, moments of where you're like, damn, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that'll never happen again. But um, you know, it's a cost in, in doing business um, especially when, when you're a newbie and, and you're not necessarily, you know, you haven't, you haven't been there before. It happens to you once, um, you know, you better not let it happen to you again type thing, especially in this industry, because it's not, you know, a couple of bucks here, a couple of bucks there. It could, it could be a $30,000 swing, which, you know, can kill a deal. Right. Yeah. Or, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just important to, to have all of your angles kind of covered, right? And uh, yeah, so what would be your advice to someone looking to get their first deal? Learn everything you can, podcasts, books, whatever, about the specific, so first, figure out what niche you want to get into. Like what's your goal, right? Are you trying to wholesale real estate? Or are you trying to find buy and hold properties? You know, what, it, what depending on what your goal is for that. Once you figure out that niche, learn everything you can about that niche. Read some books, read, listen to podcasts, read blog posts, Google monster, you know, whatever, yeah. and everything you can. And then just network with people who are already doing it in your area. Go to local meetups or right now you can do that virtually. So if you're investing in the Midwest, you don't even have to be there to attend their meetups and network with those people and talk to them and, and learn from what they're doing and see how you guys can help each other. And, you know, if you can tag along on one of their deals, if it's someone who flips houses, maybe you find a deal that makes sense and you just hand it to them and say, here's a deal. Can I follow along and watch you through this process? Can I, you know, I'm giving you a deal, like whatever, um, you know, and people think that's crazy because you're working for free, but I mean, Go back a hundred years. How did you learn to trade? You became an apprentice. All right. Well, there's something to that. So I think that there's value to that. So I, I would say network with somebody and see if you can tag along and learn what they're doing that works and doesn't. And then don't be afraid to take action. Pull the trigger. I mean, if if like especially the house hack. The house hack is such an easy justification to do because you know you need a place to live anyway. Why not live in a place where you can learn how to landlord and have someone else pay part of your mortgage? But just make sure you're not afraid to pull the trigger because if you never take action, that's when you, the real learning takes place. Like it's great to learn. It's great to network, but 
man, the moment you start doing it yourself, you really have to learn a lot very fast and it's very good for you. Yeah, I love that. And I think taking action is definitely the number one thing that people are just scared of, right? And just putting yourself out there, making that mistake that's, you know, potentially not even going to cost you anything, especially in the beginning, just maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable or makes you look stupid. Right. But, um, you know, putting yourself out there, putting yourself in, in those uncomfortable positions, I think is everything in the beginning, because that's, what's going to truly gear you up for those next, um, you know, those, those, those bigger deals and, and those bigger situations in which are going to be a little more pressuresome and, um, you know, a, a diamond, a diamond is made under pressure, right? Yep. So it's, it's, it's important to, to take that action and put yourself in those positions. So go, going back to your resources and podcasts and things that you listen to and, and read in order to kind of get yourself, um, you know, in that mindset and, you know, create that, that knowledge platform for yourself, what would you say are your number one, you know, one or two resources, whether it's a podcast or a, uh, a book? I know you already mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but how about something a little more real estate driven and, uh, you know, in the podcast world as well? Are we, are we still talking towards beginners? Yeah, let's, let's, let's right. go beginners and then let's talk about your favorite right now as well. So beginner stuff, I think either the book on invented investing in rental properties or how to invest in real estate are probably both great spots to start. They're both Brandon Turner books, uh, probably the bigger pockets podcast. They actually have a rookie podcast out now. That's got some good information too. Um, they've just, they're just such a huge platform. You can go into those forums and you can find the answer to like every question you want and they're not going to charge you for it. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I also really like the book four hour work week as a beginner, which is just all about how to outsource tasks, how to be more efficient and how to start thinking in terms of how do I get the most done in this short time period instead of the W2 hourly job or salary job, which is how do I get to the end of this work day? And maybe I try to do the least amount of work without getting fired. I love that. Yeah. Love it. As far as more advanced, like what I'm reading right now, I, I you know, as you go down this, you start to deviate from specific real estate books and get into all kinds of weird stuff. So currently, probably the most advanced book I'm reading right now is Big Debt Crisis by Ray Dalio, which is all about economic cycles and swings, which is a super dense read, but it's really good. And I should have read it a year ago. Um, I really like if you've ever heard of the Inserto series, which is like five books from Nassim Taleb, which is all I mean, it'll totally screw with how you think about anything risk mitigation. And it's awesome. Uh, I mean, it'll just change your perspective on a lot of things for the better. And I, my testament to that would be that I, the hedge fund or the, the fund that he manages or has a part in uh, made a 3,600% return in March. So he knows a thing or two about how to bet against, you know, the odds and whatever. So uh, smart, smart dude, very, very, very thinks against the grain of normal society. And I love it. Um, and I also like nuanced books like uh, the two that I'm reading again right now for probably the third time are uh, The Like Switch, which is all about how to get people to like you through like nonverbal, uh, you know, just like body language, things you can do with networking with people that makes you a little bit more familiar. 
and uh, um, I'm trying to think of it. pitch it, pitch anything, which is uh, yeah. Oh. I, I always forget the name of that book because I just call it Frame Control, but uh, which is all about how to control the frame of a conversation and and kind of similar. So it's like how to make people like you, but at the same time, how to make sure you're still the alpha in the conversation so that you come in from you, you have a better position for negotiations. And that, I mean, there's so many things I can talk through. You can go through so many rabbit holes, but those are some good ones right now that I'm reading. Great. Yeah. I think that'll, that'll, that'll get somebody a, a good foundation, right? Especially yeah. rich dad, poor dad, um, highly recommended um, whether you're looking to get started in real estate or just understand the power of, passive income and um you know the difference between that active and passive income so i think that that that's uh that's also obviously one, one of those staples right yeah yeah it's it's a good one for sure cool and my final question for you um before i let you go and let you get back to to your day um is if you had a hundred dollars today to spend on a resource right an educational resource what would it be my real estate course no i'm just kidding uh <laughs> <laughs> um that's a really good question i like that because you know what I, I think a lot of people think that they have to have thousands and thousands of dollars to to invest in education but there's so much free content out there and then there's some really 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 good paid content that's not going to break the bank. And that's kind of what I want you know, to get at here and, you know, see what, what your favorites are. So I would say, I mean, you're right. Cause I, I YouTube and Google for a very large majority of my, my learning. I'm very tempted to tell you the answer is, you know, five or six really good books, mm -hmm. but I would say I would look around and see if there's a local real, like, like a local real estate investor association. Like for example, the one that I'm a member of here, I think it was 80 bucks for the year. And that's, you know, 12 meetings with 80 to hundred people that know what they're doing. So that's a very valuable resource. Um, alternatively, if you want to get really crazy, you might take that split it into three different lunches and take somebody out to lunch that, you want to learn from and just find a way to start building a relationship with them to get in with them. I would probably focus on something that's not necessarily tangible, but more relationship driven because relationships are the name of the game in this alternatively, probably books or audible. I'm a huge audible guy. And if neither of those, and you're wanting a more specific resource, then I would probably say if you're actually trying to like get started, get started, that hundred dollars would go towards, a list of names, postage, and envelopes that I could use to find homeowners that might be struggling and send out some letters. Love that, yeah. man. I love so, that you kind of broke that down into your you know, number one relationships because I believe that this business is relationship driven and people, it's the people business that, you know, ab above and beyond everything else. Um, and then obviously the books and podcasts are kind of intertwined right there um you know to to build that um that knowledge base that you need and um yeah i mean i i think you hit it on the head man so i again, 
Yeah, man. I, I truly, truly, really appreciate having you on the show. Um, appreciate all the knowledge and, and um, everything that you've, you've already um, given to our audience and everyone listening. You know, I, I think people who are looking to get started in real estate, this is a perfect time, right? Where people have a ton of more time on their hands than they, than they maybe did, you know, two months ago. Um, there's so much content out there these days, uh, whether it's free, paid, you name it. Um, and, and I think a lot of the, the more, the people who are probably less, less uh, likely to, to have some time and, and to be able to give you a little bit of their time, maybe have a little more time now, right? Maybe people are, you know, looking for someone like yourself, looking to get started to, to shoot them an email or send them, uh, you know, a, a DM or a private message. And, you know, you never know where that, that initial conversation could go with someone who's, you know, could, could be your next mentor, right? And I think that everyone's got to start somewhere. And right now is the perfect time. I mean, tell, tell me not. Yeah, I, I think we're, I think this is a great time because you've got all the time in the world to sit and learn and, and you can virtually network with anybody without, you know, they, the people that you probably wouldn't have been able to get a hold of because of how busy they are two weeks ago might be able to get a hold of right now. They're probably sitting at home just like you. Yeah, I love that. And um, again, man, thank you for everything. Ladies and gentlemen, David Perret, uh, just again, thank you for your service. Thank you for being a, an, an influence and just such a, um, you know, a, a, an amazing uh, person for, for someone who is in the military and just, and just anyone looking to get into real estate and has, you know, a full-time job or anything of the sort. Um, such a, such an amazing role model and appreciate having you on grateful for you, for you hopping on and appreciate it, man. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where your brand and your business goes over the next few years. Um, where can people find you on social media and where can people find your real estate course, man? Yeah. So at from military to millionaire, I'm on Instagram that way. That's my biggest platform. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, whatever you can find me at from military to millionaire or just military millionaire, military, millionaire, any combination of that. Um, I do have, yeah, I, I joked about it earlier, but I do have a real estate investor course that I think is actually, you know, I've, I've scoped out some of the people who have four or five, $600 courses, nine, $900 seems to be a, a, and I have more modules and more content like time-wise I haven't looked through their content uh, but I'm charging all of 97 bucks because that's not how I make my money I just know that if I don't charge money nobody will ever finish the course so it's super affordable and it's just like a how to get from zero to one I mean that's literally the title from zero to one real estate investing for beginners so it's just I got not sick of but I couldn't answer I couldn't keep up with all the people asking me how to invest in real estate so I was like I just built this big course here you go. This will right? tell you everything you need to know. Um, Cause it does a way better job than I would ever be able to do in like two DMS on Instagram. So yeah. uh, then you can find that on my website from military to millionaire. You can also find it through my Instagram or if you just hit me up. Good stuff, man. Again, appreciate, appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to connecting, connecting with uh, you again soon, man. I appreciate it, brother. This is fun. Thanks a lot, man.